And welcome to Literally Gagging. This is a podcast where we delve into all kinds of books you maybe wouldn't want to be caught reading on the bus. You don't want a nana reading over your shoulder at any of the sexy parts. If that doesn't sound like something you're interested in, if you are one of those nanas who doesn't want to be reading sexy books over people's shoulders, this might not be the podcast for you because we are probably going to get quite explicit talking about sex and sexual things. My name is Hannah and I'm here with my co-host Molly. How are you today, Molly? Hello, I'm good. I am a little bit sunburnt because, you know, being inside all the time when you do step outside, you're like, oh, I don't need sun cream, but you do. You really do. Like a vampire, just like when you see the sun. To quote Dolly Parton, baby, <laughs> I'm burning. And what have you been up to this week? What have I been up to this week? Oh, I have started trying to teach myself the Scots language. Oh, how's it going? It's okay. Growing up in a Glaswegian household, a lot of the words you already sort of know. It's just little bits and pieces. Um, so I'm reading Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone in Scots. <gasps> That's so cool. That's the best way to learn a language, I think, to read something that you know. No. Completely. And my favourite word at the moment is a hootlet, which is Scots for owl. That's adorable. I like that. So if anyone's got any good resources or good Scots podcasts, please send them through. Why don't you do something productive? I've started playing Sim City, which is simultaneously the most addictive and the dullest game <laughs> I've ever played in my life. I'm literally like, I'm a mayor, and so I have to do things like maintain roads and do trade with other cities and stuff. That's really responsible of you. I'm so impressed. It's one of those games that really pushes you to do a lot of like in-app purchases Ooh. which I've promised myself not I'm about not that. do which means sometimes I just have to like not play it for two days while all the things like replenish <laughs> to the point where I can use them again I'm not buying simoleons I'm 27 <laughs> I need to not do that that's not what my furlough paycheck is for what are you drinking this week Hannah this week I've got a bit off piste and I'm drinking Southern Comfort Ooh. but we didn't have any lemonade so I'm having Southern Comfort and tonic water Ooh. and it's quite nice is it are you enjoying yourself it is all right because southern comfort and lemonade reminds me of being 17 Mm. and it's very very sweet the tonic water stops it being too like sweet and childy what are you drinking i've got a pink cherry gin which was on offer in sainsbury's today with an elderflower tonic oh my goodness i know i feel bougie af right now (laughs) i feel like for this for this what we should have been drinking bacardi breezes or something oh we should have got the wkds out those like did you ever have the ones from iceland i can't remember what they're called but they were like three big bottles for a fiver oh frosty jacks maybe i don't know it was trash i remember like making like waiting outside iceland so my mum could go and buy it for me before i was going to a house party and the next day being like oh i'm so hungover and my mum being like you're having a sugar crash babe like that's it there's so much shit in those drinks that isn't alcohol it's really not a hangover did you ever drink chardellini at uni yeah of course i did babes <laughs> rhythm and booze rhythm and booze it was like three liters for oh, one pound 49 or something bogging. if you put a little bit of squash in it though so if anyone who didn't go to uni University in Hull and doesn't know what Chardellini is. It's like Lambrini, but cheaper, but shitter and shitter and sh- like about three levels shitter than a Lambrini. It tastes like say. sucking on a tramp's armpit. It's it's so it's, sweet. The joys, the joys of uni oh, life. Let's go I back and get it. a Chardellini. Oh my god, should we do like a reunion and get a Chardellini? Yeah, let's get Chardellinis out. Okay, so this week we are talking about Sugar Rush by Julie Birchill. I think when we chose it, it was in many ways, I would say for our generation, quite like a formative, sexy book. It was the book that one of your friends would have and you'd like pass it around or one of you would get it out the library and you'd all kind of Mm. be a little bit scandalised over it. It does say on the front of the cover, warning, explicit content. So up front, it's giving you some warning of what to expect. Mm -hmm. So before we dive into this properly, we'll do just a little bit of context. Um, So Julie Birchill, some of you might have already heard of her. Um, She was born in 1959. She's a journalist, writer and broadcaster who describes herself as a militant feminist. We'll get back to that. She started working for Enemy when she was 17. And since then, she's written for the Daily Telegraph, the Sunday Times and the Guardian. She's really well known for having quite like strong controversial opinions and this is where we would like to say that we as the hosts of the literary gagging podcast do not condone julie birchill turns out she's utter trash on working class perspective she does have a couple of points like when she talked about how hard it is to get into journalism
tourism nowadays because you've got to have a parent or go to Oxbridge to get into it. And that's about it. That is where we draw the line on things we agree with her on. She has said some absolutely, honestly abhorrent things about mental health, the trans community and sex workers and Brexit. So we do not intend to repeat any of the things that she said or give any kind of platform to her opinions. I feel like she's a bit of a slightly more left-wing Katie Hopkins Mm. in that most of the things she says, she does it just to get a reaction. When you listen to her speaking, she says a lot of the time, like, she doesn't care and that she believes in everything she says. I think she believes in it for that second yeah just to annoy someone so we're not going to go too far into that because she's a piece of shit but we just want to make that clear that we don't agree with any of her views other than possibly some of the class stuff but that's kind of mired in all the other shit one thing that is quite interesting about the content of this book um which some people might be familiar with is that it is a story about two well mostly one teenage girl who has kind of like a little bit of a broken home life her mum's run away with a younger man leaving her with her dad and her little brother who's kind of not coping with it very well which means she's had to stop going to her fancy private school because they can't afford it she's been sent to the comprehensive which I remember at least where I was from that was a big deal going to a private school or a comprehensive like there was a lot attached to that Mm. where she meets a girl called Maria Sweet or Sugar who she becomes sexually obsessed with and we'll get into more of that later one thing I did think was interesting when I was doing some research on Julie Birchill was that she has had several marriages where when she has left the marriage she's left the kids with the dad so maybe that's some of the inspiration for the mum in this she has written kind of quite widely about her relationships with both men and women she doesn't identify herself as anything really apart from jewish she's not jewish but she tried to convert and she i think she calls herself a philo semite philo semite in that she's obsessed with all things jewish and she takes hebrew lessons on her desert island discs the one she would take with her is the um, israeli national anthem oh wow so she's had relationships with both men and women even though she doesn't she specifically doesn't identify herself as like bisexual or anything but she decided it was just kind of best to leave it because turns out she's only attracted to women in their 20s and now that she's in her 50s she thought that was a little bit not on so she just was like i'm just gonna stop that so that's that i don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. And she was in 2003, which is the year before this book came out. She was named one of the 100 worst Britons in a poll that was put together. Who was number one? I don't know. I might, I'll find out now. Oh my God. Yeah. Who was the worst Briton in 2003? Tony Blair. Oh, really? Damn. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Blair. Very of a time. Wait, was that when the Iraq war? Like, let's not get into that. That's <laughs> a different podcast. <laughs> what did you think of this book, Miles? So I read this when I was younger, as I imagine most people did. And I thought, when I read it, when I was 15, 16, I thought it was much saucier than when I read it now as a 28-year-old woman. Maybe it's because of the TV show. I remember watching the TV show growing up and it being like a, oh, it's a late night, my parents are asleep, I'll put it on very low on the TV in my room and make sure no one can hear me watching it, that sort of vibe. The TV show is much more graphic. It was racy. It also had a young Andrew Garfield in, sorry, as the sexy next door neighbour. Yes, a very young Andrew Garfield looking like a little tiny baby and being very cute. I know, he's so full of spots. And very adamant that despite having two gay dads that he's not gay. That's like his only character trait in the TV show. He's like, I'm not gay though. I remember this book being a big thing. I remember a combination of this book and the band Tattoo where I learned about lesbianism. Do I think everyone learned about lesbianism? from the band Tattoo. They're, they're not even lesbians, that's the thing. Aren't they not? I'm pretty sure it's all a publicity stunt, yeah. It worked though. Yeah. All that snogging in school uniforms against a chain link fence, yes please, very sexy. Because I think that's the thing that's really interesting about this book is it was definitely like very, very racy at the time. And like I say, I don't know if it's whether that we're adults now and we're more desensitised. I don't know whether teenagers today would find this sexy or if they would be like, this doesn't stand up because lots of it really doesn't stand up to a modern reread. And it turns out a lot of the stuff that I remember from this, like the things I remember being sexy were the TV show, not the book. Yeah, completely. And I think I've got them muddled up in my brain. I remember it was as well, I think one of the 
first times that I learned that you could masturbate with an electric toothbrush. And that's not in the book at all. That is the TV show. It's really not. And I thought that was in the book a lot more. Considering how much it's in the TV show, it's not mentioned. It's, it's very present in the TV show. This past week, I've also been having a little rewatch of the TV show, which is a lot of fun. But most of the sex in the TV show is not even her. It's like the mum and the decorator doing it all the yeah, time. Yeah, it's not. I think maybe the second season, they get into a bit more lesbian action. It is really interesting rereading this as an adult because I think as well, especially as a teenager, I just assumed that all girls like sort of fancied their friends and sort of made their two girl sims woohoo and sort of loved watching those two girls in school uniforms snog up against a chain link fence. And I don't think it was until I was older that I realised like that's not a thing. I'm going to say I never had those sort of thoughts myself. Well, there we go. That's the difference. That's the difference between (laughs) you and me. This was one of the first times I was like, oh, that's like a thing that other people think, but it's not normal. Mm. Not that we would throw the word normal around, but like I just assumed that everyone sort of secretly did and that we just didn't talk about it. But uh, apparently not. No, not really. No. So yeah, when we're talking about this and going through a lot of the commentary on this, I think we're probably going to end up delving into the TV show as well. I don't think we're going to be able to help it, Mm -hmm. whether it's how the book is different from it or how it's the same and how the two different things address it. So if we end up just talking about the TV show loads, I'm really sorry. It's all on 4OD if you've not gone and watched it. Do it. So it sort of starts off with Kim, the central character. You learn that her mum is... She's run away with the maintenance guy who worked in apps on the backside, so is now really rich, and they're in the Bahamas together. And it's sort of her dad trying to piece life back together. And it starts off with her at uh, the private school and her and her best friend, Saint. You get the picture of the... These girls are generally promiscuous. Mm. Oh, saints. Chucking it around everywhere, aren't you? Yeah, she's been doing it since she was 12 and three quarters, always with the same boy and always using the pill and condoms. With a future that bright and a major aversion to abortions, you'd be phobic about pregnancy too. Which is smart. I mean, for a 15-year-old, like, she's really got it locked down. She has. Particularly at the beginning. Does she ever, like, explicitly say that she fancies saints? No. They have this very, like, tempestuous relationship, but I think that's, like, what a lot of teenage friendship is like. Yeah, and I think, especially because the private school's an all-girls school, and I went to an all-girls school. You did as well, didn't you, Hannah? Yeah, I did. So it's rough, it's rough man. It's wild. It's rough. There's hormones and tampons just everywhere. Like, I mean, God bless any teachers that work at an all-girls school currently, like I couldn't fuck me up I couldn't imagine it I couldn't do it like you cannot go through a lesson without someone like crying or throwing something at someone or having a pregnancy scare the things that our form tutor had because he was our form tutor from year nine until year 11 the shit that he had it was just unreal the PTSD he must have now our form tutor he already had a little boy and then they had a little girl and he was like I feel really bad for my daughter because I know every fucking trick in the book from working at this school she will never get away with anything like when she's a teenager she will not be able to pull the shit that most teenagers can because I know all the shit that you fuckers get up to and I'm not letting her do it and I was like fair play so additionally in this book they talk about the difference between going to a private school and going to a comprehensive school and where I'm from there are some private schools but most people either go to a grammar school or a comprehensive school like that's the norm and like the way that they talk about the comprehensive versus the posh school is exactly the same way we talked about the comprehensive school I mean here they're talking about who puts out most and they're like the comp girls don't believe in queuing do you it's first come first served or you can eat for the price of a Bacardi breezer you did it for half a bag of Monster Munch. I was just about to accuse her of putting out for a lick of a cheese string wrapper. She does nail the girl chat, I have to say. I think that's one thing that she is quite good at. I think so. And like all the tensions of it and how everything that happens, even though Kim is literally from a very recently broken home, this is the most important shit that's happening in her life. And she doesn't really seem to care that much. There's a lot kind of that's very glossed over in the book about how her little brother like is not okay and is not coping other than the fact that she's like when her mum tries to get back in touch with her she's like don't fucking talk to my brother because he deserves better than you she doesn't go into his room Mm. and be like you're right mate which i feel like he needs i think he just needed someone to say are you okay hun and i don't think the dad was emotionally equipped to do that 
so yeah, I feel like she does, she kind of really nails that like um, girl chat and the dynamic of different kinds of school. Because when Kim has to go to the comp, she just doesn't keep in touch with Saint at all, does she? Because Saint's like pissed her off or something. Saint got annoyed that she was leaving her. Not that, you know, her mum had left and they could no longer afford to send her to the private school. Saint was like, oh my God, how dare you do this to me? But Saint's also portrayed as like quite a little bitch, like... Oh, Saint's a piece of shit. I don't understand why she's friends with Saint. There is a lot of parallels to be drawn between Sugar, who is the friend she makes at the Comprehensive, and Saint, in that they're both these very, like, domineering personalities. Completely. And I mean, I can completely sympathise with that because my best friend all through high school was a piece of shit who treated me like a lapdog. And when I went to university and made some real friends and grew a backbone, she didn't like that. We've not spoken since. Oh, babe. Oh, no, it's absolutely fine. Like, I'm fully over it. I think that's, again, unfortunately, kind of a learning curve that a lot of girls have to I think it's what you go through, in it, unfortunately. Yeah, it's quite an interesting parallel to draw between Saint and then she goes to the comprehensive and kind of falls into this friendship with Sugar. Now, I, as someone who went to an all-girls school, if I had had to go to a mixed school... May, I don't know what I would have done. So in this, her first day, essentially, it's the first time you ever hear Kim talk about a man. And she describes as one guy as every teenage dream, rebel cliche, silky quiff, razor-sharp cheekbones, his hooded eyes, his mouth like the very first kiss God created. And then he comes up to her and he squeezes her nipple in twice succession and goes meep meep and i know that this was written what in 2004 where we were just coming out of the not needing to wear bras phase but as a 15 year old girl in school how is your nipple out and also it's very specifically said that she's like little and curvy she's got big tits so yeah. she's got big tits so why has she not got a bra on why are her nips out maybe we should do some experiments see what kind of bras she might have been wearing it was like the padded t-shirt bra wasn't it that's what i thought it would be a padded t-shirt bra from tammy girl mm. they didn't really suit or flatter or fit anyone very well but it was the classic teenage girl choice so yeah she kind of falls into this like friendship with maria sweet because the boy who comes up and honks her tit is maria's brother and this girl comes over and is like what the fuck are you doing leave this girl alone you absolute weirdo and then she's like that's my brother so i was about that the names as well so i'm jumping back and forth here but so maria's actual name is ave maria and her brother's name is jesus joseph mm-hmm. and then the other kids are called something really really fucking stupid evelyn and shira the joke there was that the dad was allowed to name them and then fucked off so they've got these stupid names but i think it's interesting thinking about julie birchall as the person that we know she is because it's clearly a way of connoting to us that this family are a lot more working class than kim's family because they've all got these sort of like quite extravagant names which i think can be a bit of a stereotype of working class families i think naming is quite an interesting thing as well because one of the little marks when sugar and kim have kind of cemented their friendship is that she calls her kiz and kim kind of says that like oh i've never i've never been in kiz before and kiz is someone that i want to be kiz was a tough girl a worthy sidekick of sugar sweet not the kimmy of her doting dad or kimbo the bimbo because that was what her friend used to call was kimbo and kiz is like a cool name it's got two z's in it of course it's cool anything with two z's in is really cool and back onto the class thing, when she goes into Sugar's house and like meets her mum and stuff, she makes a point of saying that it's her first council house, which is very exciting. It's cute. You'll remember your first. Mummy, take a picture. It's my first council house. I love the description of Sugar's bedroom oh, though. Sugar's bedroom sounds absolutely amazing. It sounds like everything you ever wanted as not actually a teenager but when you were like 12 and 13 and you thought that's what teenagers had this is it it's all full of lip gloss and posters on the wall and that's what I call music CDs and little vodkas. One of the things that makes this, I think at least, really dated is the obsession with binge drinking. I feel like I read somewhere that apparently Gen Zers are drinking a lot less. Oh, really? I don't know whether they're doing drugs instead, but I'm pretty sure like... Yeah, maybe. Teenage binge drinking, I think, is on the fall, which is probably a good thing. They go to the gym a lot more as well. They're like more conscious about their health whereas when i think we were teenagers it was go out and drink 
in the park then you'd be sick and go home yeah you'd always have one friend whose parents sort of didn't really care or were away a lot and you'd go to their house and you would have a different probably a different one friend who either had someone's fake id like a sister's id or just looked older. Oh my God, I had two IDs. I accidentally got two through when I was 18. So I had one that I kept for myself and one that people used. So like one of my friends used it until she turned 18. Then it got sent to another one of my friends and she used it till she turned 18. And then my sister used it. And then one of her friends then used it. And like my, my face just whited out. It was just eyes. So they'd all go to the bouncer and look down. And then they got to the bouncer, they'd look up with like giant eyes. <laughs> the reason that they got caught out is because it was a tradition where I'm from on the last day of your sick form you get dressed up in your old school uniform and you bar crawl into the town then you go Zens and then you go fingered on the dance floor and then you go home it's a great time for everyone and the girl who's using my ID so the bouncer took it and was like why are you 20 (laughs) (laughs) on the last day of your uniform on the last day of school I think my ID is still at the Bull and Vic in Dartford. So if anyone's there and they have it, give us a shout. It's expired, but I'd like to know if it's still there. I'm a July baby, so I'd use my friend's ID. And I had her provisional license and she had her passport. But it meant that she'd go to the front because it's her ID, so she has to get in. And if I don't get in, that's my lookout and I'll be at the back of the queue. And we only got caught out when clubs in Liverpool started doing that thing where they scan it and it comes up on a screen, which is horrendous because the next three people in the queue get to see a picture and no one needs that but we got away with it until i was 18 pretty much but one of the things in this that i think is interesting which is a whole episode of the tv show is because they drink a lot and sugar particularly drinks a lot to the point where she doesn't know if she's a virgin or not because she's never like done stuff with a lad when she's not been blackout drunk so she doesn't know Ooh, that's a yikes she's just so uncertain in the fact that she might not have done it but she'll sort of go along with any lad who comes along when she's drunk you don't need to do that people will love you for who you are you don't need to give them sexual favours unless you want to but it doesn't seem like she enjoys it all the time if she can't remember it. Yeah. The thing that Kim says about it is, I think I'm in love with a crazy girl who may or may not have slept with half the boys in East Brighton, but who is definitely well on the way to alcohol poisoning. And I don't know whether to encourage her drinking so I can possibly get off with her when she's off her face one night or try to stop her because I'm like her friend. Which is... It's uh, <laughs> hard. It's a hard dilemma. It's a really tough choice. Do I sort of like low-key date rate my friend? Do I look after her because I'm worried about her? And I think there's quite a lot in this which it makes uncomfortable reading but it's quite interesting this is mostly described as a book of like sexual fascination or sexual obsession and that it doesn't shy away from the fact that kim does think quite a lot of like i would say proper shady stuff and like she only makes out with her once drunk but then sugar starts it so it's not yeah that's another thing that i think was interesting about this book and maybe my teenage years were just really deprived there's a lot of like casual snogging in this like sugar will just kiss her like for the lols and i'm like that did not happen oh no that happened there'd be some fit boys over there how'd you get them you snog your pals girls snogging girls always get the boys see the boys that i was friends with hung out with were in my immediate circle were boys that i'd met at youth theater i think because they were like nice theater boys we we were like mates we didn't need to get off with each other to make them like us because we were friends with them you had personality they liked that so that's quite a lot of our teenage shenanigans got very derailed i think it's because this book doesn't actually have a lot of sex in it not as much as i remembered it being i think it's just the fact that the book was even talking about sex like there's one bit in it when they talk about it and sugar's trying to remember the lad who fingered it last week his name was dean craddock and she says to kim like do you think i'm a slag and Kim's a bit like, I, I, I don't know. What do you say to that? Like, There is no right answer to that, is there? She says, what's more important, truth or love? And then they, they go on to talk about it a bit more. And she says, sex is an acquired taste, sort of like olives. Think about it. Boys and girls, we all like the same stuff usually. Ice cream, booze and fags. We all know what's nice and what's yucky. But then something when it comes to sex, if you're a girl, you're suddenly meant to like something, which any boy would find really nasty if it happened to him. Having a great sweaty thing bouncing away way on top of you and after five minutes he squirts all this stuff inside of you 
And it just sort of feels like, although she puts on this bravado of getting with everyone, maybe she's actually a little bit scared of having sex. Yeah, and maybe that's why she's so drunk all the time when she does it. I think it was especially one of the things for this book is the fact that it wasn't just talking about teenage sex, but it was talking about teenage lesbians, which now I think for teenagers today, it's crazy because it was, what, 10, 15 years ago. But the world is a completely different place in terms of like LGBT plus issues and the representation that there is. Like looking back on this, I'm like, this book is really problematic in a lot of ways. But at the time, this was probably the only lesbian teenage book you could get. Glee didn't come out until 2010. We didn't know you could be a cheerleader and a lesbian. I mean, without Glee, how would we have known these things? Exactly. There is kind of various bits of discussion in this, which is sort of of its time and also sort of, unfortunately, I fear it might still be the way. Like when Sugar sort of accuses Kim of being gay because she never talks about boys that she fancies. And she says, if you are, I'm not dissing you. You're pretty, so it's not creepy. They have a really insightful bit for the time about the word gay. So like when we were growing up, calling something gay as it is here just means like it's a bit lame, it's a bit uncool. If someone said something about their feelings, you'd be like, that's gay in it. Or if someone admitted they liked a TV show that you shouldn't be watching, you'd be like, that's so gay. Yeah, and they make a really good point here in one of the things that Kim's kind of going through in her inner dialogue is how much she hates the way that word is used because it just means anything we don't like anything that's not cool and as we're 15 that's about 90 percent of everything so socks are gay spots are gay science is gay but things being the way they are with my heart and stuff i don't need my possible future sexual identity bandied about as a byword for everything that's rubbish i think we try to like burn it out of history when we did it i mean and i will fully put my hands up i i know for a fact i did it as a kid because it, it was just the word you use like i would like to say now that I never used it to mean that but I can't promise that because everyone unfortunately everyone did and I I mean I really hope that kids don't still do it I feel like quite a lot of people I know didn't confidently and sort of openly come out until uni or later and that is probably exactly the reason why whereas I feel like teenagers today are thankfully feeling safe and comfortable to come out a lot earlier and it may well be because we've tried to eradicate that kind of prejudice from the language that we use. I'm skipping about here, but we were talking about teenage girls just snogging your friends. For me, when reading Sugar's character, it felt like that her way of getting things is to snog Kim. So they go to this, like... Is that the under-18s gig thing? The, like, anti-drugs gig? And everyone's actually on E. They talk about how they don't have any E's, and Sugar is like, well, you want some, here's how to get some, and just start snogging Kim. And like, then everything keeps getting given to them. And then this band come on stage. They had one top 40 hit, which was really common back then. The song itself is called Are You Freaky? I feel and like goes, Julie Birchill might have had like a bit of fun writing this song because it's truly terrible. Julie Birchill used to work for the NME, the highest musical standard of the UK we had at one point, and Julie Birchill worked for it. And the best she could come up with is the following: Are you freaky? And are you freaking weekly? I'm gonna text you because I want a sexier hit on my celly because I want your jelly. And then the line after it is Kim going, "The most amazing feeling." of depression engulfed me which I think is really appropriate (laughs) we have all been to see your friendship band yeah one of these underage teenage things the guy in the band sort of spots them in the audience and kind of calls them out and is like oh there's these two girls getting off and sugar really plays into it I feel like it's quite a long way through the book but I feel like it's really one of the first times that Kim is like she has no regard for me and my genuine feelings whatsoever which I think is really sad and is probably again like compulsory heterosexuality and the fact that like lesbianism specifically is so highly fetishized is like a massive massive problem well that's what the the guy says isn't it the band guy says did you read my interview because that's where I said nothing turned me on like a bit Mm. of girl on girl action it just feels like sugar does lesbianism because it's part of the male fantasy not because she actually likes Kim it's all very performative 
performative even though she'll still do stuff with her in private like they they still like again it's not explicit in the book but they like fully hook up in private but whenever Kim tries to be serious about them like as a couple oh Sugar's not a fan but Sugar doesn't seem to be a fan of couples in general no that's yeah I don't think that's necessarily a reflection on Kim necessarily she's seen her like a mum and a dad and they obviously haven't been a successful couple so why would she want to Mm. be in a couple be it with Kim or anyone else and I think one thing was quite interesting that she said when Kim was kind of trying to talk to her about the idea of being in a couple and she was like it's really boring just because we're both girls doesn't mean we're like doing anything special if we settle down and have this like monogamous relationship like we're still a couple and I think she actually says surely it's even more boring to just be with someone who's like the same gender as you yeah she just finds couples boring she wants to be young hot and Mm. sexy and single forever which she's not gonna get to be no regrettably I'm afraid that's not how it works babes it feels like everything sugar does is for other people's validation and not because it's actually what she wants to be doing like if you're like living the sweet single life having the best time absolutely crack on if you're doing it because your parents have fucked you up that's a problem have we got any other sex scenes that we've not touched on i mean there's not a lot of sex scenes to get into really is there the only other bit that i thought was quite interesting was when sugar's trying to get kim's like newly single dad to get with her mum, and kind of keeps being like and then we'll be stepsisters and that's hot because i feel like that's kind of quite ahead of its time were stepsisters sexy 15 years like i thought pornhub invented incest like maybe not pornhub is all about the incest now you can't move for incest and sugar seems to be obsessed with the fact that they might be it might be even dirtier yeah and that's it like sugar sometimes seems to be super into it even without the performativeness and then it's almost like she i don't know like gets in her head about it i think possibly as well one thing i don't remember and i think maybe it's because the girl in the tv show i think that actress is really good she was really good in girls in love she's really good in this she's really hot as well yeah yeah she's really hot i I didn't remember kim being this fucking irritating no nor did i i feel like maybe to make two seasons out of the tv show they had to make her a bit more likable but also how irritating were we at 15 oh my god probably so irritating to be fair exactly i think she probably captures a whiny posh girl trying to be a lesbian quite well i just how obnoxious i was at 15 i can't imagine adding lesbianism on top of it lesbianism and drugs crazy double whammy and we sort of get to their breakup shortly after Mm -hmm. this in the fact that kim has sort of become a bit weird and a bit gross and knowing that if she gives sugar a booze she'll put out and she's always round at sugars and sugar's just trying to avoid it and kim's there and she's like why are you always here i feel like i'm under house arrest and you only just want to get me drunk so you can have your filthy little way yeah it just feels sad that they both had to resort to their different things to cope their own like coping mechanisms to deal with this feeling and i think especially for kim it's like a really formative experience yeah like this her first love and I think one of the things that's interesting about it is because it is set in Brighton which is where Julie Birchill lives and is kind of famously like the gay capital of yeah. the UK although I have friends who dispute that have oh I told really? You no why do they dispute? tell me what's the goss on Brighton? so my huns from work Beth and Erin went down to Brighton Pride and had a lovely time but we're talking to people about the gay scene in Brighton and obviously Brighton is famously and historically the LGBT capital yeah. of the UK but they only have one gay club because that one gay club keeps consistently putting all the other clubs out of business so they can be the only one gay club oh wow and beth and erin were like come up to manchester bay where we've got a whole village come canal street why are we not the gay capital of the uk with our entire gay village i mean i spent new year's eve one year literally falling down the stairs of cruise 101 into sub 101 like i literally went arse over tits down the stairs and i have a massive scar and i just got down there and it was all full of topless bears and i was i didn't know whether i was concussed or drunk or had just gone to the other side of the rainbow like dorothy and was like where is this tumble into ours and been like oh yeah I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. I will say there's a lot of things about the outside world that I'm currently missing in lockdown. One of them is really overpriced coffee and the other one is Canal Street. So once they sort of broken up, they have a weird scene where they get back together again. You don't really see it happening. It's just 
she's like, do you want to come see the fireworks and lose? Lewis, lose. I don't know. And Kim's like, yeah, sure. And by this point, Kim had sort of agreed to go and live with her mum in the Bahamas. But because Sugar's back in her life, she's like, fuck you, mum. I'm not coming back. And then we get into what is probably the only sex scene that is graphic. And even then, it's not that graphic, but it felt graphic at the time. So they're on the train. And once again, Sugar gets with Kim. And the reason for doing that is because, as Kim says, there's like 100 pretty girls on the train. And Sugar getting with Kim means that she's the queen bee of them all. Like, yeah. she is the hot hottest of the hotties so they get to lose lewis i should know this from round here say it's your ends in it i don't know kim loses sugar and sugar is with some lads yeah she finds her in a car park with like a group of lads and she thinks that she is being taken advantage of because she's drunk and she's on the bonnet of a car and there's all these lads and i'll just read this sort of this is literally and i can't believe we thought this was sexy when we were younger but it was like i could hear the unmistakable sound of sex the tubing and the throwing and the yesing and the knowing the giving in and the giving up i heard it i died inside and ever conscientious i raised my head to witness it and as my always wide eyes grew to manga dimensions as i saw not just the anticipated atrocity maria sweet a boy on the bonnet of a car having sex but also three other boys at least 18 watching smoking laughing and waiting and sugar sort of wants to have sex with all of them she's pulling them all in sugar sits up naked except for her trainers pushes back her hair and like reaches out for the next boy and that's the end of a chapter is that happening and then kim running away and then the next chapter is her being like i can't believe that i saw this and that she's a slag and all this and i think it's quite interesting that she goes so hard from she's being taken advantage of to god she desperately wants this without there being any in between of she's a 15 year old girl in a car park with a load of 18 year old boys by modern standards she cannot Mm. consent that is inherently statutory but she is suddenly like at last i can understand what everyone's problem with her is because she spent the whole book with people her old friends and whoever being like this girl is trouble and she's like no i sort of know she is but i'm also in love with her and this is kind of the first time that she realizes that maybe it's almost like she can't fix her like she wants to be able to fix sugar with her love and she can't you can't sugar don't want no love oh you just have to wait and it's sort of like the story gets fixed really quickly from that scene to the end is not a lot of it's like 10 pages or something and it's like magically that kim's mum from barbados has found the money to send kim back to the private school so kim after her like i did a year abroad at uni this is her like year abroad in a comp goes back to the private school because she goes back to the private school thinking she's a fucking badass doesn't she she goes back and is like i've been to a poor people's school I've smoked some marijuana. I'm so cool. Yeah. And like, Saint is a competitive runner. She's been training for the Olympics. And Saint's trying to apologise and Kim's just like, I'm not having any of it. And she sort of turns to Saint and it's like, it's just one thing I need to tell you. And it's like, you smell. Maybe it's the sports, maybe it's the smoking, maybe it's the smugness, but you smell quite bad. You actually accuse of smelling. And the reason why no one's ever told you in these years, not even some girl whose life you've made a misery marathon is because you're black. The book is also really quite racist. And it's like... Uh, uh, uh. and there's a lot in it about her being like she's not really black she's black like samantha mumba so she's pretty what does that mean they say that more than once that's the the specific reference that they use and i don't know what it means when we talk about how dated this is saint's boyfriend is described as looking like craig david and she's described as looking at samantha mumba such a specific reference to make it's so strange maybe they thought samantha mumba and craig david would uh, span the test of time so then they go and they smoke a joint oh it's the thing where she has shit in her bag doesn't she and they go in and there's like they're doing like a drugs awareness thing it's called there's a police dog in the classroom and i highlighted this and i don't know how they name police dogs but they call the dog pc scooby don't <laughs> i'm out like i'm tapping out i'm done it's so on the nose pc scooby don't that's like calling him pc drug sniffer it's- <laughs> Yeah, I feel like she ran out of creativity at the end. Like She just ran out. One of the things that is like famously said about this book, which I can believe, 
for various reasons. Julie Birchall apparently wrote this in 10 afternoons, which, A, she's a journalist. Her job is turning around Mm. copy at a quick pace. I get that. Also, that is sitting down and writing it to it being finished. That's not the version you get in the book. I imagine it was edited a couple of times. But I feel like at this point, 10 pages from the end, she went, fucking PC Scooby-Doo, get it done. I've got some cocaine to go and do with Will Self. It's just so lazy. And that is one thing. They do talk about drugs really casually, but she's a big old fan of the old nose clams as Julie and you can definitely tell through this book it is sort of written at pace and nonsensical at times but it's mm. interesting because I think as well like I don't think that many 15 year olds have this much access to drugs no nor do I at 18 yeah go to uni 15. rolling in it anyway Kim's got drugs in her bag the police dog sniffs them out and then Saint sort of takes the fall for her because Kim's got this previous because they went to the underage anti-drug disco and did loads of E and Kim got in trouble for it. And kind of, and then it wraps, it, like it very much, I mean, spoilers, whatever. No one cares. It's been out for ages. No one cares. And it very much then kind of wraps up. Kind of the last proper scene we get is Saint saying that the drugs were hers so that Kim won't get in any more trouble. And then we get a final chapter, which is literally three pages long, which is saying starts with I only saw sugar once in my life after that day um and it's that she's chilling in the park with saint who appears now to be her girlfriend yeah they don't make it clear but I think because at the end she's like do you love me and then they kiss each other and it kind of saying that like the thing with saint is that she'd had her life was on this very certain trajectory with the running and everything and you'd think that sort of taking the drugs fall would have absolutely fucked that up but it sort of didn't and she's fine and now the best pals again and then sugar walks past with a lad and a baby They've got a baby girl. They're trying to decide what to call it. This bums me out so much because they sort of foreshadow this in the book a little bit where Sugar's trying to explain that, yes, Kim, you love me now, but when it comes to going to uni and stuff, I don't want to hold you back. And it sort of feels like Sugar knows that her life isn't destined to be as successful as Kim's. Yeah. And I really felt sad that this is the way Julie Birchill wanted to end it. Coming from a working class background herself, she didn't want to prop up another working class woman. She wanted to put her in that box. And yeah, whatever, statistically, that might have been what was more likely to happen. But would it have been so horrible to have sugar... I don't know, actually doing an A-level? Would it have been so hard to see Sugar taking an apprenticeship? Why did she have to get knocked up at 17? Yeah, I thought the same. I thought, especially having looked into Judy Birchland, realising that, like, possibly the only decent thought she has ever had in her little head is that working-class people aren't scum, that maybe she could have done slightly better. And apparently, there is a sequel to this book. Yes, I only very recently found out. Very widely slammed as just being really shit. And it's about Sugar, like, getting out of prison or something. Like, either getting out of prison and then becoming a sex worker or being a sex worker and then going to prison. Double whack generally we didn't need this continuation of this character like again even if she's had this baby why do we have to go full like working class tragedy porn why can't we just build up a character that again maybe more because it's such an easy read as well it's not it took me like two days or something to read this but two to three days and for kids as well and if you are one of those kids who comes from a background like sugars and all you see is the fact that she's getting pregnant and now she's a sex worker it's not very inspiring is it it just i feel like we should maybe bolster women up a bit more and also in terms of having written the sequel kind of the point of this book is kim's discovery of allowing herself to feel her own it's a lesbian story yeah and i quite like that it isn't a tragic coming out story like at no point does she have to sit down with her dad and she doesn't get disowned and even at the beginning she kind of she seems to know what's up she's like yeah i fancy this girl and that's where we're at it's not her going wait i really fancy my best friend does that make me bum 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 gay she's like 
I'm gay. Yeah, it's about her going, I really fancy my best friend. How am I going to fuck her? Like, that's kind of, that is the story. Sugar's character, if we go, she's no longer gay, she's a single mum with a, like, that stops being interesting in a way. There's so much of that. The interesting thing about this book is Kim and the queer aspect of it, not Sugar. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't think Sugar was the main character in it. I think it was all, it's Kim's story, isn't it? It's Kim's story. The sequel, what I think, here's Drunk hindsight corner what i think she should have written the sequel about was kim going to uni and having to deal with loads of girls who are like oh at uni i'm supposed to have my first lesbian experience and just the bullshit of that do you know what yeah. i mean like kind of kim as like a more established like queer yeah. woman who has had this experience maybe maybe how do you handle is saint going to uni how are they gonna keep their yeah. relationship going or dealing with all the little pillow princesses yeah all these girls who are like i can try being lesbian for a bit because that's what you do at uni that would be more interesting to me like a continuation of kim's story going somewhere other than brighton kim being a lesbian in yorkshire let's explore that anyway that's a tangent yeah so that's just kind of the end of the book that's just the end that's it so hannah i'm gonna ask you the million dollar question how wet did you get was it like the ocean how wet did you get where you die in the desert how wet did you get did this book make you come as an adult no <laughs> just no what about 15 year old 15 year old me was all over this shit kind of does a lot of fading to black on the actual sex scenes you don't see it but there is quite a lot of sex happening even if you're not going to see it I will say as well, it feels wrong to rate this book in penises out of 10. I think we should rate it in vaginas. Vaginas. How many vaginas out of 10? I would say the book, honestly, maybe like four because there's so much wrong. I think I would give it like one vagina out of 10 because it didn't just make Kim's, me wet at just all. Just Kim's vagina. Just Kim's vagina. On the fact that we're rating it on how sexy is this book, I wouldn't call it that sexy. I think maybe I'm scoring it for nostalgia like at the time this would have been like a big sexy deal but as an adult not particularly I'm gonna give it like a three like a three vaginas a solid three vaginas yeah I'd still want to stick by my one tv show mint go and watch that tv show is much better and I think that's a lot of the consensus on what yeah. most people feel like some producer read it and was like I know what will make this better sex and then just put loads of sex in it but they made the adults have sex so you don't feel weird yeah it's not just a program about two teenage girls getting at it mm. and it was channel four as well that was back when channel four was like proper envelope pushing when it did like late night it was euro trash sort of time and like just an apology to the listener who came in mostly on the sex scenes because obviously we did vox last week which is very sexy we remembered it as sexier than we did and we did it purely for nostalgia my memories of this were very sexy i now realize that that was most of the tv show so a polls for that but you don't have to take our word for it we did some research for you we went and we got some other people's opinions hannah what did the good people of goodreads think the good people on goodreads did not think this book was good oh really quite a lot of people reading it going i heard this was a book about lesbianism and i've kind of come away a bit disappointed which i think is fair in terms of as we said 2004 lesbian representation in teen fiction this was all you had nowadays there are much much better lgbt teen fiction available and like hallelujah for that but a lady called joanne gave it three stars gave it quite a nuanced review which i appreciate it's quite long so i'm not going to read the whole thing i'm really glad that i never really saw the tv program before i read it because from what i know of the program quite a lot of it is different and quite a lot of it might not seem like massive changes but are quite integral to the plot for example in the book her mum stella has fully left and then comes back and that's the thing whereas in the tv show part of the plot is her mum having an affair and the split she said that one thing she was a bit disappointed by was that the only thing that makes this lesbian fiction is that the two girls happen to be two girls and that sugar she argues could have been a boy and nothing integral in the story would have been particularly different i don't know if i 100% agree with that because even though there's no like coming out to parents or whatever i do think there's quite a lot of like casual homophobia but she does say and again I think we've mentioned this the front cover ones it contains explicit content but I don't really know what was explicit about it there isn't a great deal of detail and maybe it's kind of the drug use which is classed as explicit but because it's about lesbians it gets pigeonholed as a sex book overall an okay book 
That's what she says. And that was probably, I think, the fairest review that I could find. Because there were some people who read it and gave it five stars going, I was trying to imagine what it would have been like reading this as a teenager. Like, this book would have meant a lot to me had I read it at 15. But I, for me at least, I think the amount of problematic stuff in it is worth mentioning in a review. Yeah. So I found two reviews and I've only just read the end of one of them. <laughs> I'm trash just saw the first thing so I was like this will be fine so the first one I'll read is from 2005 and it's just from Amazon customer and it says great book for teens the book was so great as a teen in Kim's position I can sympathize and empathize with her all the way it's an emotional laugh out loud book that should be read by every teen everywhere great buy great book and I get that maybe most teenagers should read something of this ilk about sexuality maybe not this book. So the second review I found was also in 2005 and this person hasn't read the book. I love Amazon. They've just bought it and have only watched the TV show. Great. So the title of it is Five Stars Bisexuality. This book is basically used to help teenagers see the effect of crushes and other teenage phases. Kim sees herself as a lesbian straight away. It could be that she's just bicurious or bisexual, but she jumps straight into the conclusion that she's a lesbian. I mean, you tell her what her sexuality is, boo. Don't ask her. <laughs> it's fine. I'm not reading the book yet, but I'm watching the TV series and that is amazing and all my friends are the same about it. I will be getting the book at the weekend and will review it properly. But from the series, I see this as a top seller. Amazing novel. They've not even bought it. I'm going to buy it at the weekend. Amazon customer, you cannot be this trash person leaving reviews. Not even things you've not read, things you have yet to buy. You've not even bought it. Why are you commenting on someone's sexuality that A is fictional and in the beginning pages Kim talks about the fact that how men repulse her yeah and then for this person to go she's by curious she sounds pretty gay to me yeah well there we go that's Sugar Rush if you can recommend any other coming of agey sexy books that you remember from when you were a teenager how wet did you get what books were you reading I remember there being maybe one and I haven't read this book for ages maybe one sex scene in um, Noughts and Crosses by Mallory Blackman there was I remember that it's the only thing I remember as to why it's a good book it's an actually great book but it's a pervy child <laughs> that's all I remember I'm gonna try and have a think I'm gonna see what else I was reading as a teenager. I went through a phase, me and my best friend through, went through a phase of getting like proper Mills and Boone books out of the library. Oh, really? I don't remember. I don't remember anything about any of them. I think we were like 13 or 14, but because it's so nerdy, because we were like very avid library users and the librarians knew us, we were allowed to get adult books out on our children's tickets. And so we used it to get out sexy Mills and Boone books at the age of 13. So next week, we're really jumping gears next week. And we've gone from this quaint little lovely lesbian teenage love story to a book called The Claiming of Sleeping Beauty by Anne Rice, writing as some pseudonym or one other. If you've read it... Please drop us an email. Please let us know your thoughts and feelings and opinions. If you haven't read it, strap yourself in for a difficult read. Please follow us on all the socials. We are at Literally Gagging Pod on Instagram and Facebook. And on Twitter, we are at Lit Gag Pod because we're saving you the characters to complain at us. We're doing you a favour here. And remember to follow us wherever you listen to us. If you're on Stitcher, if you're on Spotify, if you're on iTunes, and rate and review, because that's the best way to help us keep this going. We need something to live for during this quarantine. We do. And I'm really enjoying doing this, so I hope people are enjoying listening to it. I don't really care. We're just going to keep doing it, to be honest. We're going to be like every white man. Just shouting into the void. That's what everyone else is doing. So, stay safe, everyone. Stay clean. Wash your hands. Read smart. We might as well. Keep it dirty, bitches. Keep it dirty. Keep everything dirty but your hands. Wash your hands. All right. Bye, babe. Bye. A big thank you to Bobby Bates for doing all of our artwork and our logo and everything. To Bethany Southworth for our jingle. And the other incidental music is from Kevin McLeod of Incompetech, the king of royalty-free jams and saviour of media-traduced students the world over.